Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Okay, well, hey, welcome to Lighthouse Community. So glad uh, you're all here, and uh, I want to welcome all of our guests here in the house. Uh, my name is Fritz Bilo. I'm one of the pastors here, and I also want to welcome you if you're joining us at Lighthouse Online, maybe at Bluffton Community, Fostoria Community. We're really glad you are with us today. So as Shay mentioned, we are kicking off a brand new series, and one of the things that we're talking about in this series is distractions, because uh, we all have distractions that pop up in our lives from different places, and they prevent us from giving our full attention to whatever might be in front of us. I don't know if you've ever had like a, like a lunch meeting or a coffee date with somebody and you're just wanting to talk to them and in the middle of that like there's this fly that's like right in between the two of you, like lands on your nose. And uh, yeah, like that's a distraction. Or you've got your phone, it's blowing up while you're trying to work on this project. Um, it's a distraction. And so we've got distractions in our day-to-day stuff, but there's also distractions to following Jesus, things that pull our attention away from keeping our focus on him. And so there are distractions like religion, distractions like greed, right? Busyness, um, distractions like fear, relationships, work, all of those things. And when you break down that word distraction, distraction keeps us from gaining traction, right? Gaining traction of taking steps forward, of walking in step, staying in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, drawing us away from staying in step with him. That's what distractions are. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to identify seven distractions to following Jesus that churches in the past have faced, um, churches today still face, and even believers uh, face in our lives as well. And so what our team's been doing for the last few weeks is we've been praying for all of us um, that you uh, and we would begin to see those common distractions that come up in our lives and distract us from following Jesus. And, and I want to point out that when distractions do come up, when opposition to following Jesus uh, bubbles up, um, a lot of times people think, God's abandoned me. Or maybe I've done something wrong, and that's why this challenge, this conflict, this whatever has come up. But I want to tell you this, um, that doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong in your life, because the reality is that following Jesus can be hard. But it's okay. It's okay, because Jesus blazed out a trail ahead for every single one of us that we can follow him and walk with him in the journey. And so what our role is, is to learn how to rely on Christ and to learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit more and more. And I want you to know that you can do that. And so that's really the goal of our time together over the next few weeks. And one of the reasons that um, we all need to learn how to rely on Christ more and more is that's what we're created for. I don't know if you know that. We're actually created to rely. We're created to depend on God for all things. And there are these moments that will pop up in our lives that even if we forget that we're supposed to rely on God, these moments pop up and they're fresh reminders, right? They're like, 
slaps in the face where it's like, you're supposed to rely on God. And you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And so uh, right now, I feel like we're in one of those seasons in our world uh, and in our nation because everybody's dealing with things like rising gas prices and food prices. And, and then there's other things like there's conflicts and tragedy going on around us constantly. There's conflicts around the world. There's rumors that this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg within all of those types of things. And then on top of that, you've got the personal challenges that you and I face every single day, right? Like maybe your health is failing. You're going through the loss of somebody that you love. You've got a relationship that just fell apart. You've got conflict in your family, spiritual battle. Uh, Maybe you're fighting against sin in your own life. And so there's all of this stuff going on And I think it begs the question to say, well, as followers of Christ, how do I navigate those situations? How do I walk and follow Jesus through those moments? And and if we're being honest, I think a lot of us don't handle adversity very well. Um, You know, conflict or adversity bubbles up, and some of us, we run. Right? Like the like the tennis shoes are on and whew, you are gone, um, right? Challenge bubbles up and some of us we just throw our hands up in the air and get frustrated and and go, well, that's the hand that that fate has dealt me and I'm just going to have to deal with it. And then others of us, when adversity rises, we're just like ready to fight, right? We're almost like looking to pick that fight, get our knuckles warmed up, and let's make this thing happen. Um, And so for most of us, we've got room to grow in this area and to learn how to rely on Christ. And so what I'd like to do with our time together over the next few minutes is I'd like to show you from Scripture uh, three truths that I think are going to help us navigate the adversity that we face in our day-to-day living. And the one thing that we can even begin doing today that will begin to change how we walk through these situations. And so as Shay had mentioned, if you'll turn in your Bibles uh, or click over to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation is the last book in all of the Bible. We're going to be there, and uh, we're kicking off this new series called Revealed, Overcoming the Distractions to Following Jesus. So I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There's going to be a point where we pause, and I'm going to ask you to read along with me as well. Um, But uh, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. That's what's on the screen. But you uh, feel free to follow along in the version that you have. This is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that uh, that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is where I'd like to pause, and let's read verse 3 out loud together, starting with, blessed is the one who reads. Are you ready? Go. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's important. Okay, verse 4. John, to the seven churches uh, that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." Now, there is a lot to talk about in this passage, and so we're going to focus in on three things today. And here's the first truth that I want to share with you uh, on this topic of adversity and suffering. You're going to find out why we're talking about that subject in just a second. And the first truth is this, is we all face suffering. Every one of us. It is a great equalizer. Suffering does not care what your economic status is. doesn't matter where you graduated from. Doesn't matter your background, your family lineage, that you own a business, that you're unemployed. Suffering does not care, and it faces every single one of us. We all face suffering at some point, right? It's true for us in our time and age. It's also true in the, the time when Revelation was being written for these disciples in the first century. And it's very important that you and I understand when we're reading the book of Revelation, the context of that book is suffering. It's persecution. It's opposition to the gospel. When you're reading, you have to realize that that is the current context in which that is being written, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through John. And and so this should not be a total shock, because Christians have faced opposition all the way from the beginning, since Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Uh, If you go back to Acts chapter 7 you'll actually see the account of one of the followers of Jesus. His name is Stephen. He gives a really clear testimony of who Jesus Christ is. You would think everybody drops their knees, comes to faith in Christ. They don't. What do they do? They kill him, right? They take large rocks and they drop them on top of him until he dies. That's Acts 7. Then you get to Acts chapter 8, and you see this overwhelming outbreak of persecution against the gospel taking place in the entire city of Jerusalem. So much so, the disciples that were living there 
are fleeing the city and going to other cities, other regions, other places to live. And then you get to Acts chapter 9, and you see this guy named Saul who's literally traveling from city to city, arresting men and women. Do you know what their crime is? They're followers of Jesus Christ. That's their crime. And he's going to arrest them and to persecute them and to do all kinds of other things in that frame. Then even when you're reading Revelation chapter 1, you get to verse 9 and you see the apostle John is exiled on this island of Patmos. And why is he there? Because he's a follower of Jesus, right? And so you've got all of this persecution going on. And this is just in the scriptures. When you look at some other historical sources outside of the Bible, you see the same thing. They talk about uh, suffering Christians uh, had faced during their time. They lost jobs. People would refuse to buy, sell, and trade simply because you were a Christian. You might have your home or your farm confiscated because you're a Christian. People were tortured. They were humiliated. They were killed because they were followers of Jesus Christ. One historian by the name of Tacitus, uh, he wrote this about uh, Emperor Nero's persecution. He said, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. So it wasn't enough to kill a Christian. You also had to add humiliation on top of it. And so it was things like this. They covered uh, these disciples with the skins of beasts, They were torn apart by dogs and perished, or they were nailed to crosses, or they were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when the daylight expired. This is intentional persecution and opposition to the gospel from the very beginning. And then you just, that's on top of life, right? Because you're going to argue with your spouse, You know, you're raising kids and all of the joy that comes with that, Uh, right? You're like, (laughs) you know, problems at work. Uh, You know, the harvest didn't come out as well as you thought it was going to. You get sick, you lose a friend, et cetera, et cetera. And so what's absolutely remarkable, that is even in the face of this overwhelming suffering that all of these disciples are going through together, the gospel continued to spread like wildfire even. It was unstoppable. It couldn't be shut down. And so it begs the question, how is it that these disciples who are facing overwhelming suffering, persecution, opposition to the gospel, how is it that they are able to keep following Jesus in the midst of their suffering? Well, that's the second truth that John really puts in front of us here, and it's this, that in suffering, we need reminders of what God has already done. In suffering, we need reminders of what God has already done. Because suffering, if you've been through anything uh, in your life, you know that suffering has this isolating effect in you. It's almost like putting on VR goggles, and, and this new reality is two inches in front of your eyes, and you can't see anything else, right? That's it. You're in it. You're living it. You feel isolated. I'm the only one going through this. Nobody could understand. I am by myself on how to figure this thing out, and suffering is all that you can see, and you feel alone, and it's tempting to blame God for our suffering. It's tempting to get angry with God because of our suffering. It's tempting and easy to forget all that God has already done for you and in you when you're in the midst of your suffering, right? That's all 
a reality. And so what we need is we need reminders of what God has done. We need reminders, like what John wrote in verse 4. He says, listen, this is a God who is, was, and is still to come. You know what he's saying? This is a God who's present with you now in your suffering. He's there. By the way, this is the same God who was there before the suffering showed up, and he has been there before everything that has ever happened in your life or anybody else's life. Also, he's the God who's still going to be there on the back end, and he's drawing you to himself. We need reminders like verse 5 that remind us of the gospel, that Jesus has already gone through the most significant suffering and adversity that there is. You will never outsuffer Jesus. You need to know that. If you want to go toe-to-toe with him and share your suffering stories, have at it. You will lose. (laughs) Okay, that's going to happen. See, Jesus stood in our place as our representative. He took on the identity of a sinner, and he bore all of the weight of the wrath of God against sin, and he did that by himself, and he was crushed under it on the cross. And so Jesus faced the ultimate suffering, but we know that God didn't abandon him to the grave, that the God who is and was and is still to come was there in that moment, and Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, confirming he is the Son of God, he is Redeemer, he is Leader, he is Forgiver. Right? We sang about it just a little bit ago, you know? Your buried body began to breathe, right? And out of the grave. That's, that is where our hope is. And so we need reminders like that. We need reminders in verse 6 that we have a new identity in Christ. We're priests. We're a part of a kingdom. We are adopted sons and daughters of the king. And so what John is doing is he was reminding these suffering Christians of all that God had already done for them while they're in the midst of their suffering. And let me tell you, every time you read the, the Bible you're reminding yourself of what God has already done. Every time you pray, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to remind you of what God has already done in you and for you. When you gather with other growing disciples, whether it be in a Sunday service or small group or other form of discipleship, you are reminding one another of all the things that God has already done for you and with you. Now, If you're like me, I can't believe we're that dissimilar from one another, but um, when I'm suffering, I don't know if you typically do this, but when I'm going through really tough stuff, I just tend to pull back and I isolate myself. And I'm like, I'm just going to figure this thing out. And it's not so much that like, I don't really want you to know. It's just, I don't want you to get into my mess that I'm in right now, because you got your own mess, so why would you, you know, want to come and join my party? And so I kind of pull back, um, because I just don't want you to necessarily be a part of that. And by the way, that's exactly what sin wants you to do. Pull back, isolate, remove yourself from your relationships, all of those things. And I want to encourage you, when you're going through challenge and suffering, don't pull away from the family. Don't resist. Don't walk away. Rather, press in. Press into the family. Draw closer. Share what's going on. Like, let us, because what, let us know. Let us walk with you. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm sharing with you right now. But let us know. Let us remind you of who God is. Let us remind you of all that God has already done. Let us remind you of who you are in Christ. Because when we're going through suffering, we need reminders of what God has already done. And here's the last truth, is that when we're going through suffering, when we're in suffering, 
We need reminders of what God has already done, but we also need reminders of who Jesus is. We need reminders of who Jesus is. See, Revelation, that that title, that word, comes from a Greek word that literally means from covering or uncovering or revealing. That's literally what the Greek word revelation means. And so the book of Revelation is a book of revealings, okay? So lots of people, when they go to Revelation, they immediately say, oh, I'm, God is revealing all of these future events that are getting ready to happen, and I need to know about all of these future events and how they might tie and work and all this kind of stuff. And so a lot of people read it, and they're going, you know, they're tying all these things together, and they got their map up on the wall, and they got their yarn going to this place, and this news article, and this kind of stuff, and this is whatever, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, I got it. I figured out, you know? I don't know when Jesus is coming back, right? <laughs> like, that's where they get to the end of it. And they get all tied up into all of that stuff. And if you do that, let me tell you, you are going to miss the primary purpose, the primary revealing in the book of Revelation. Do you want to know what the primary thrust, the primary uncovering of Revelation is? It's Jesus. That's the revelation. The revelation is that all of this stuff we don't understand all of it, and there's probably going to be confusion and chaos, things that we're like, we don't get it, we don't grasp and understand. And the point of this is there's one who's in control. There is one who is tying up all of time and space and history and bringing it to a final close. And it's not if you can figure out who's coming up out of, you know, Eastern Asia as the leader and representing the Antichrist and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Do you know who Jesus is? That's the point of this book. That's the revealing. And so Jesus is who Revelation is really about. And John reveals Jesus in two ways right here in this chapter. First, he reveals Jesus this way. Jesus is revealed as powerful and terrifying. That's how he's revealed. Like, seriously, you get in verse 5. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, right? He's got all the authority, all the power. Verse 7, Jesus is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. By the way, this is a callback, a shout-out to Daniel chapter 7 of the one coming on the clouds with all dominion, all the power, all the authority. That's Jesus right here. Then you get to verses 12 through 20, and John describes Jesus the best that he knows how, right? He's using the words and trying to gather all of this imagery, and he says, Jesus has a voice like a trumpet. He's got hair white like wool. His eyes are like fire. His feet are like bronze. Well, his voice is more like the roaring of waves, but it's also a trumpet, but it's waves, and it's all this stuff, and he holds stars, and there's like this sharp sword that's coming out of his mouth and his face. It's like the sun. You know how it's like unsafe to stare into the sun because you'll burn your eyes out? It's kind of like that, right? It's like he's radiating with all this glory and amazing stuff. He's the first. He's the last. He's the one who holds the keys to death and to Hades. And he's trying to just grab all of this stuff and describe and remind who this Jesus is. And basically what John is saying, he's saying this is Jesus the powerful. This is Jesus who has beat sin and death. This is Jesus who has overcome sin. Jesus has been there before the beginning and he knows the ending. He's directing all of time and space and history. Jesus has a plan and he's got the power to complete that plan. This is Jesus the powerful and terrifying. So much so 
you get to verse 17, and John musters the bravery to turn around and see where that voice is coming from. And he turns around and he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like I was dead. John was terrified, right? He was terrified. See, what's going on here? This is not hippie Jesus, okay? Like that's, that's who we tend to think about when we think about Jesus, right? Hemp-wearing, sandal-wearing, long-haired, beard, patting people on the head, everything's going to be all right, hippie Jesus, okay? That's not who this is. This is King Jesus, the awesome and powerful and sovereign, okay? That's how John describes him here. But there's a second way that Jesus gets revealed in the same chapter. He's revealed as powerful and terrifying, and then at the same time, Jesus is revealed as loving and approachable. Right in the same chapter. Because remember, after John turns around and he looks and he sees Jesus and he drops dead onto the ground, do you see what Jesus does right after that? By the way, John's doing that, uh, that bear defense you know, it's like, well, I'll just go down and pretend Jesus will sniff me and then move on to something else, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what's going on. Uh, and yeah, so he goes down, he falls, and look at what Jesus does. Jesus sees him like, yeah, that doesn't even work with real bears. So um, he comes down and he says, but he put his hand on my right shoulder and he told me, don't be afraid, right? So Jesus, the awesome and terrifying is Jesus the loving and approachable. And he says, John, you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm, I'm coming in power and in wrath, but I've come to rescue you. And you don't need to, you don't need to be afraid of me. And in verse 5, John reminds the disciples, this is the same Jesus who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood. This Jesus is loving and approachable. And so some of you are going, well, well, which one is it? Is, is Jesus powerful and terrifying, or is he, is he loving and approachable? Which one is it? The answer is yes, right? Yeah, he is both holy, powerful, just, wrathful, terrifying judge over all of creation, and he is kind, grace-giving, merciful, the patient friend who is closer than a brother. He's God. Only God can encompass all of that character simultaneously. You know who Jesus is? He's the lion and the lamb, right? He's both and. Why do we need these reminders? Why is this important for us? Well, in, we talked about it already, but in suffering, it's tempting to think that Jesus has abandoned us when we're going through tough stuff. It's tempting to go, because we, again, we have that view of hippie Jesus in our minds, and we go, I don't think Jesus is strong enough. I don't think he's powerful enough to see me through this thing, right? This is bigger than that. What's he going to do, like counsel me and my feelings through this thing? I need someone who's powerful in this thing. And so you think, I don't know that Jesus can handle this. And so what John is doing is saying, listen, I know you feel like you're losing, and I know you feel like it's on you to fight this battle by yourself, but what John is reminding these suffering disciples, he's saying, Jesus is still your hero. He's powerful enough to win the battle, 
and he's kind enough to not destroy you in the process. And so this is the mighty, awesome, powerful king over all the universe who reaches out his hand and says, come to me, all you who are weary and laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. Put your burdens on me. You don't have to carry them. I'll carry them for you. It seems like you're losing, but you're not. Just hold on. John is saying to these disciples in the midst of their suffering, you pick the right guy. That's what John is saying here. And we're all going to face suffering, every one of us. Some of us are in the midst of it right now. You're journeying through this thing right now as we're talking. Like you're struggling with a decision that you know you need to make and you don't know what to do. You're losing a loved one right in front of your eyes and there's not a thing that you can do to change the situation. You're dealing with trauma from an event that's happened in your past. You're facing opposition to the gospel within your own family. Right? And so the question then becomes, well, well, what do we do? What are we supposed to do when we face suffering in our lives? Well, I would say we can do what John is doing in Revelation 1. And John is doing this, that when you face suffering, when you face adversity, keep focusing on Jesus. When you're facing suffering, keep focusing on Jesus. And so the question then becomes, well, how do I do that? Well, do you see what John is doing in Revelation chapter 1? The whole time, John is just focused on God. And and he's just trying to describe what he's seen and what he's capturing here, right? So he talks about God, and he says, this is the God who is and was and is still to come, right? Like that, there you go. Uh, He he describes the Holy Spirit as this sevenfold in front of the throne, right? Which is the sevenfold is describing the, the wholeness, the completeness, the perfection of the Holy Spirit. And then you've got Jesus described as the faithful witness, the eyes of fire, the white robe, the golden sash, right? All of that stuff. And so what John is saying is when you're suffering, what you can do is this. When you're suffering, worship God. That's what John's doing here. He's worshiping the Lord. Now, in our time and culture, what we typically do is we equate worship with singing. And we go, those are the the same things. Now, worship can include singing, but worship is more than singing. Let's just really quickly, do you want to know like the irreducible minimum of what worship really is when you, you know, take all the forms out and just get down to the core thing? Here's what worship really is. Worship is intentionally focusing on God. That's what worship is. Worship is the intentional focus on Jesus, on God. Worship is expressing wonder and awe and gratitude for the worthiness and the greatness and the goodness of our Lord. Worship is recognizing how amazing and how incredible God is and celebrating him for it. Right? It's like reading the words of Scripture and going, God, did you know you're merciful? That's awesome. You're so This is crazy. I love that about you. So worship, worship is this focus, this intentional focus on who God is. It's kind of like walking on, a, on a, like a beam. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like walking on a balance beam. And when you're walking on the balance beam, you don't focus on the beam. You don't focus on not falling right? You don't focus on all the other distractions and the people around you and all of that. What do you focus on? Ahead. 
We focus ahead. And you take really intentional steps of direction and intentionality because you're dialed in. And yeah, there's all this stuff going on, but man, I'm staying dialed in, right? And, and let me say this, because the focusing doesn't make things hurt less. The focusing doesn't magically make everything better. What it does is say, this is true, right? The suffering is true, but this is even more true. Jesus is more powerful than the stuff that I'm going through. And I'm focusing on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so John would say, when you're suffering, worship Jesus. And there's lots of ways that you can worship when you're suffering, right? Reading the scriptures, discovering the character of God, uh, gathering together with other disciples, right? Reaching out, sharing things, talking about it. Um, When you look in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, you come upon this story where two disciples, Paul and Silas, are out sharing the gospel, and in the process, they end up getting arrested. And they're there in prison, right? That's suffering. And, And what were they doing? Sharing the gospel. That's it. And they're in prison. They're chained to the floor. And then you come on verse 25, and it's like, well, what's Paul and Silas doing in there? Throwing up their hands in frustration? Fighting against the jailers? Right? Like running away? What are they doing? It says they were praying. They are singing songs. Right? They're worshiping the Lord in the midst of their suffering. And so let me encourage you, when you're suffering, worship Jesus through prayer. Like, talk to him. And, and more than just like, please, Lord, get me out of this. Please, Lord, get me out of this. Please, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, not, not, not that kind of prayer. But more prayer like, this is tough, but you're better. This is not fun, but I know you've got purpose. Your glory is wrapped up in this. This is for my good. I don't, I don't get how all that works and how you're going to be glorified through this, Lord, but I trust you. That kind of prayer. Right? And again, worship... Can inc- it's, it's more than singing, but it includes singing. So there may be times where you and I, we just need to sing some songs to the Lord. And we need to express from our heart, you know, songs of his character, songs that reveal the gospel, songs that talk about hope and trusting in him, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Declare who he is. And use prayer, use scripture, use songs, use community to remind you of who God is and what he's done. About, uh, about six years ago, my family went through a really difficult season. And, uh, and we were all struggling, uh, just all of us were. And so much so that pretty much every day for, for months, um, we would have, I'd come home from work, I'd, uh, we'd have dinner, we'd put the kids to bed, and then I would leave the house and I would walk our subdivision and, and I would spend the next half hour to an hour praying through our neighborhood. Now, when I say praying, you can interpret that as complaining. All right, so I would like walk through our subdivision and I would complain to the Lord. And I would tell him, this is not fun. I can't believe you would do this to us. Why have you not rescued us yet? Well, you know, I'm, I'm praying, so you should do things, right? Like, I'm pulling the right levers. I should get my spiritual biscuit. And so I would complain and ask him why he hadn't rescued us yet. And I would complain, and I would do all of that. And after weeks of doing this every day, you want to know what happened? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Somebody said it. Yeah, nothing happened. And then one day... I remember walking through our subdivision and complaining to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit, wasn't, it wasn't this audible voice, but it was very clear, and the Holy Spirit asked me, are you done yet? And I said, done what? Whining. And he said, the only way you get through this 
is worship. Are you ready? And I'm like, no. <laughs> because I'm not going to tell you, like, in that moment, everything changed and the, and the switch flipped and all that kind of stuff. I was struggling with that. But let me tell you what happened over the next few weeks. Um, I started to do that. I started moving away from cl- complaining to the Lord, and I started just focusing in on his character and celebrating him for who he is uh, when I was praying. Um, I started to take my earbuds. Uh, this is back before there were AirPods, so I had to have them wired to my phone. Uh, but so my phone and, and, and my earbuds, and I would just listen to worship music. I had a station on my phone, and I would listen to it. And, and I would just I would worship him. And, and there was a point where it crossed over. I was walking through my neighborhood at night singing songs out loud to the Lord, right? Nobody else can hear. I'm sure it was not pleasant on their end. But, you know, people would walk by me. I didn't care. I'm just singing worship to the Lord. And my prayer shifted from, God, you got to get us out of this to, God, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. You've always been there. You've always provided. Your presence has never left. And my prayers actually even crossed all the way over to, I want to thank you for this difficult season. I praise you for the challenge we're in now because you are teaching me how to rely on you in a way that I'd never known before. And I want to thank you. See, we have been conditioned to resist suffering in our culture and in our day. That if suffering pops up, you figure out to do whatever you can to get out of it and to run away. But here's the thing, when we do that, we miss this. We miss this. Suffering teaches dependence. Let me say that again, that is very, very important. Suffering teaches dependence on God. And more than anything, that's what God desires from you and from me, is that we would depend on him for everything that we would rely on him in all things. And you have to know that God is not drawn to proud people who accomplish things on their own. God is drawn to humility. God is drawn to brokenness. God is drawn to those who realize that their sin runs so much deeper than the actions they've been able to mask when other people are around. God is drawn to those who admit their deep need for him. And worship is really this. I want you to hear this. Check back in for just a moment. Worship is declaring and delighting in my dependence on God. Let me say that again. Worship is declaring and delighting in my dependence on him. That's the essence of worship. And so worship begins to happen when you are utterly persuaded that nothing, not money, not prestige, not family, not jobs, not health, not sports, no toys, nor friends, nor even relief from the suffering, nothing is going to bring you truest satisfaction to your heart except God. That's the heart of worship. That's where the centerpiece of that comes out of. And so when you and I face adversity, keep focusing on Jesus. And one of the best ways to do that is through worship. And so I want to close with this question. What adversity are you facing right now? What suffering are you going through right now in this season? And I want to encourage you to make the choice. Make the decision, and you're actually going to have to make the decision day after day, moment after moment, but make the choice that you're going to worship God through the suffering. 
You're going to worship God in your suffering. You're going to worship God for the suffering, right? That's what this is talking about. And so one of the things that we've included on your connection card, there's a, there's a next step back there that just says, this is what I'm going to choose to do. And we've actually labeled out a few ways that you might consider, right? Like prayer and reading scripture and singing and depending on others, you know, meditation, all of those things. If you're just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in that place and I'm going to engage in these things, I would love to know. I just want to pray with you. Um, I want to I want to walk with you in all of that, and so you can let us know. But I want you to know, like you, you don't have to run from the suffering and adversity in your life, because if you're running away from that, there's a good chance you're running away from the blessing. I want you to think about just for a second the Book of Revelation. Okay, the book of Revelation is amazing. It's beautiful. We read the scripture, blessed are those who read it aloud, who live, uh, hear these words and live them out, right? There's a blessing in the book of Revelation. And you see this beautiful vision, right? You see Jesus in his clarity. You see, you see this hope. You see this joy. You see the struggle and the battle. You see the ultimate final victory that God brings and that one day those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are going to be with him for all of eternity in his presence. It's this beautiful vision. It's an amazing vision of what's still to come. I want you to ask this question. Where was John when he received this greatest vision of his life? He's exiled on the island of Patmos, suffering as a slave laborer working in the mines because he's a Christ follower. It was in John's suffering that one of the greatest blessings he had received came to him. Your greatest blessing may come during your most significant season of suffering. Keep focusing on Jesus. You pick the right guy. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I want you to focus in on Jesus. And I want you to ask him this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I want you to listen to him for just a moment. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up to a time of prayer. And so what's going to happen is the band's going to come back on stage and they're going to lead us in one more song. And while they're leading us in a song, we're going to have prayer leaders who are going to be stationed. There's going to be one prayer leader in each corner of the room. And so they're going to be making their way there even now. And they're going to be ready to pray with you about any area of your life, any at all. There could be significant challenge and suffering that you're facing and that you're going through. These people are ready to pray with you about any of that. Any area at all. And please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. We all need it. We all desire it. We long for it. This is, you know what? This actually might be the moment that God is calling you. You've been resisting letting someone else into the challenges and the suffering that you're going through. This may be God's call to you to say, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust your church family. I want you to turn to prayer. I want you to worship me in this season. This might be that moment. 
And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that, but let me pray first. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.